This is made for you by All Souls, a church in Seattle, Washington, seeking to be a community not just for ourselves, but a vibrant expression of who God is, gracious, present, hospitable. Take a moment now to come as you are and bring your attention to God. I spent my early childhood years in a Southern Baptist church in the suburbs of Dallas, Texas. Each week after the sermon, the preacher would invite people sitting in the pews to make a decision to follow Jesus. As we waited, our musical interlude was often the hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. 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 No turning back. No turning back. We would sing and wait for someone to say yes to Jesus. While the adults around me closed their eyes, I would peek, hoping to catch a glimpse of somebody walking down the aisle. A decision would mean celebration. At the end of the service, we would clap, cheer, and hug over a person's decision to follow Jesus, or a person's decision to follow Jesus into baptism, or a person's decision to follow Jesus and become a member of the church. Those lyrics, I have decided to follow Jesus, resurfaced this week while sitting with our gospel passage and our current season of Lent. The New Testament scholar Esau McCulley writes in his book on Lent that Lent is a chance to renew our commitment to following Jesus. In our gospel reading today, we hear a call to renewed commitment. Jesus is speaking to people who have already decided to follow him. In the opening chapter of Mark, Jesus calls Simon, Andrew, James, and John. They throw away their nets and follow Jesus. Then Jesus sees Levi at the tax collector's booth. Levi throws away his receipts and follows Jesus. Jesus calls and they respond. This group has already proven their willingness to give up their lives to follow Jesus. They have denied themselves. They haven't just given up cake and cocktails for Lent. They've come to a point where they have decided to no longer live for themselves, to no longer be attached to the ways of this world, the ways of self-centeredness, self-interest, self-aggrandizement, selfish ambition. They have given up being the center of their lives. They've given up the right to determine their own goals and aspirations. They want instead to live for the one who, as Peter has just confessed, 
is the Messiah, the one God has chosen, God's appointed one to bring God's kingdom to earth. They've cut ties with living for themselves and have attached themselves to Jesus. A more intense way of saying that they have denied themselves is that they have taken up their cross. They have taken up their cross. They have shown that they are willing to submit to God. This group that Jesus speaks to has already started a journey with God. They have denied themselves and taken up their cross. If you are a follower of Jesus, what do you remember about the beginning of your journey with God? Was there a moment or maybe a series of events that led you to cut ties with living for yourself? What was it like when you first attached yourself to Jesus? The beginning of my journey featured songs. Some of my earliest childhood memories are of my mother singing me to sleep. I would drift off to sleep with the name of Jesus ringing in my ears. She would sing a song called Jesus, Name Above All Names. Beautiful Savior, Glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God with us, Blessed Redeemer, Living Word. As a child, my most prized possession was a portable cassette player. I would carry around my cassette player singing along to Salty, the singing songbook. And if you didn't grow up with Salty, you might think of it as maybe a less cool version of Kids Bop Kids for praise music. And it was through singing along to Salty that I experienced the Holy Spirit tug at my heart. And I felt a desire to follow Jesus. It was at the age of six that I walked down the aisle and told my church family that I had made a decision to follow Jesus. While I made a decision early on in life to follow Jesus, it wasn't until much later that I realized that there was something else I must do to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The verb tense Jesus uses for deny and take up communicates activities that are done once and that are complete. The verb tense Jesus uses for follow is different. It's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing, it's continual. The one who wants to be a disciple of Jesus must continually follow Jesus. Jesus is speaking to people who have responded to his call. They've begun the journey and now need to be encouraged to continue to stay the course. And to stay the course, it might be helpful to consider the positionality of a disciple to consider our location in relation to God. In Mark's gospel, Jesus twice uses a term that relates to one's location. 
In verse 33 and verse 34, Jesus uses the phrase, opisomu, after me. In verse 33, the phrase appears when Jesus rebukes Peter. Jesus begins telling his disciples what lies ahead. He tells them that he's going to suffer. He's going to be killed. And after three days, he's going to rise again. Peter pulls Jesus aside. Peter leaves his position as follower. He gets out of line, rushes to be at the front, to be the line leader, to set Jesus straight. Peter takes off his student hat and tries to wear that of the teacher. Jesus says, opisomu. Jesus says, your place is after me, not before me. By pulling Jesus aside to rebuke him for his teaching, Peter is trying to lead Jesus. Jesus must lead, though, and Peter must follow. Then in verse 34, we hear, whoever wants to be my disciple. A more literal translation is, if anyone would come after me, opisomu. A disciple is located after Jesus. A disciple takes a position behind Jesus. And it's from that position the disciple continually follows Jesus. When Peter pulls Jesus aside, he and Jesus are no longer on the same side. To follow after Jesus is to be committed to God's ways. Jesus' rebuke has to do with Peter's commitment to the ways of God. The phrase, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, can also be translated as, you are not committed to God, but to people. In ancient literature, the word phoneo was used, often used with reference to one's relationship with or commitment to another. It often had political and military overtones, like how one in America might speak of holding a party line. In this story, Peter has abandoned his commitment to God and aligned himself with Satan in opposition to Jesus. When Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, opisomu, he isn't banishing Peter. He's summoning him to return. He's saying, return to your position, Peter. I go before you, you go after me. Renew your commitment. Return to your allegiance to God. Act like my disciple. Follow after me. What does it look like to follow after Jesus? I'd like to suggest a few things to you this evening. First, baptism. Being baptized. Before Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism marks relational change. The water is an outward and visible sign of an internal reality. It's an outward sign of our new life in Jesus, our new life in God's family, 
our new life of saying no to the things that bring death, our new life following Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Following after Jesus looks like being baptized and remembering our baptism. Following Jesus also looks like obedience, keeping Jesus' commandments. In John's gospel, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It also looks like keeping the moral teachings of the Old Testament. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. These are all summed up by one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Following after Jesus looks like love, honoring all people, helping the afflicted, giving food to the hungry, extending friendship to the lonely, comforting the sad, sharing the gospel. Following Jesus also looks like feasting. Each week we keep the feast. We heed Jesus' words on the night that he was betrayed. Do this in remembrance of me. Following Jesus looks like regularly ingesting the bread and wine and allowing Jesus to infuse us with himself. So we may know the content of following Jesus, but how is it possible to follow after Jesus? I'm currently training for a half marathon, and I've noticed that on Saturday mornings, as I reach down to tie up my laces for my long run, there's some nerves that flare up. I think, what if my knees start to hurt? What if I need a pit stop? What if I can't complete the mileage? I try to shake off these questions of self-doubt as I walk out the door. Sometimes these concerns are not unfounded, though. Sometimes I do feel my knees. Sometimes I am super grateful for facilities along Alki. And sometimes finishing the run feels like a real struggle. This Lent, I've noticed that the questions of self-doubt that preoccupy me before a run are not too far off from the doubts that I wrestle with as I seek to follow after Jesus. What if I can't keep up with Jesus? What if I don't have enough strength or energy? What if I fail? These questions center on me, my comfort, my skills, my abilities. In these moments, I forget my positionality. I forget my location and relation to God. I forget that Jesus is in front of me. I have a pace setter who is leading me. I have a pace setter who is for me. I have a pace setter who may challenge me, but who will never get so far out in front of me that I can't keep up. My pace setter is trustworthy and faithful. My pace setter doesn't promise a run free from pain or struggle. 
My pace setter promises to always be with me. Nothing will be able to separate me from my pace setter. I have a pace setter who goes before me, and I have a domestique who provides support along the way. If you've watched the Tour de France, you might have seen a rider who gets up really close to other riders and passes out water and food. In road bicycle racing, there's a rider whose job it is simply to support the team. And support looks like bringing teammates water and food, shielding teammates from opponents, helping teammates with mechanical malfunctions. When I worry about the scarcity of energy and strength for following after Jesus, I forget that my pace setter promised the gift of the domestique, the helper, the advocate, who comes alongside me and fills me. I've been given a domestique who teaches me the good news of Jesus, who gives me life, who helps me in my weakness, who intercedes on my behalf, who strengthens me, who produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The domestique gives me God's power to follow after Jesus. I have a pace setter who goes before me. I have a domestique who comes alongside me. And the owner of the team I run for has the best stocked aid station. A well-supported run has aid stations along the route, places to grab snacks and drinks, places for refreshment and refueling. Like a well-supported race, each Sunday we're invited to stop at the aid station and receive bread and wine, to take the food and drink God provides to nourish and sustain us as we follow after Jesus. The spiritual nourishment provided at this aid station has been described as the health of the soul and body. The cure of every spiritual malady. By it, our vices are cured, our passions restrained, temptations are lessened, grace is given in fuller measure, and virtue once established is fostered. Faith is confirmed, hope is strengthened, and love kindled and deepened. As we stop at the aid station and take in the bread and wine, we take in the promises attached to the body and blood of Jesus. We take in the promise that our God is always and will be always for us. Our God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. As Paul asks, Will he not also graciously give us all things? Yes. Yes, he will. Yes, he will give us all we need to follow after Jesus. As we take in the bread and the wine, we receive assurance that God has given us what we need and will keep giving us what we need. Fear not, 
Your need cannot exceed his provision. I have a pace setter who goes before me, a domestique who comes alongside to support me, and access to the best stocked aid station to refresh and refuel me. Yesterday, I was reminded of another gift I have received for following after Jesus. Before I started my run, I ran into Greg Kraleski, gave him a wave, and after I finished my run, I ran into Brenna and Wimbo and DJ and Kelly. And running into my sacred siblings reminded me that I'm not asked to follow Jesus alone. I've been put in a family. I've been placed on a team. I imagine us as a running team, supporting, encouraging, comforting, caring, and building one another up as we follow after Jesus. And not only do we have one another, we have teammates all around the world and throughout the ages who provide us an example of faithfully following after Jesus. The author of Hebrews gives us an image of being surrounded by a stadium full of holy cheerleaders. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses rooting for us to fix our eyes on our pace setter, to fix our eyes on the one who began and who finished the race that we're in. My success and victory following after Jesus will not come through my own innate skill, strategy, or ability. I am prone to wander. I am prone to leave and to give up. My success and victory will not be won because of me. It will be won through the one who loved me through the one who loved us. It will be one through the one who holds me and holds you fast. It will be one through the one who will keep me and who will keep you firm to the end. The one who loves me, who loves you, enables us to sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back.